This podcast from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. Faith Bible Church is a Christ-centered Bible teaching ministry dedicated to bringing the good news of the gospel to the whole world. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now for this week's message from Pastor Alan Battle. Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 2 verses 8 through 11. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news and great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is the word of God. Advent is the ancient Christian tradition of anticipating the coming of the Messiah in the weeks that are leading up to Christmas. And this year we're using the Advent wreath to remind us of several themes that are found in scripture surrounding the nativity story. The first candle represented the hope of his coming. It's a reminder of the many prophecies in the Old Testament that promise the light would come into the darkness to provide hope for people who are hopeless. And the second candle, which we considered last week, was the candle of love. It's a reminder of the sacrificial love that Christ had for us when he left his lofty position, seated at the right hand of the Father, and became a baby in Bethlehem. By becoming a helpless child in a manger, and eventually a willing victim on a Roman cross, he proved his love by rescuing those who were helpless to save themselves. This week, we will light the candle of joy. It's also known as the shepherd's candle. And it reminds us of the joy that the shepherds felt when they first heard the good news of salvation. Throughout the history of the Jewish people, joy has been in short supply. The Old Testament is a record of the repeated failure of the chosen people to live up to their covenant with Yahweh. Over and over again, they forsook their God for the gods of the surrounding nations. And the predictable result was oppression and bondage and misery. It was predictable because that's what God promised them through Moses. In Deuteronomy 
It says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. Obedience brought joy. Disobedience brought sorrow. And as soon as they entered into the land, they started blowing it. There were a few brief moments in the times of the judges when they would repent and prosper and joy would return. And during the monarchy, there were a few good kings in the Davidic line who led the nation in righteousness. But after the kingdom was divided, the northern half never had one good king. And true worship was never restored there. And for their disobedience, they were removed from the land. In 722 BC, the northern kingdom was exiled by the Assyrians. And the southern kingdom of Judah, it vacillated for about another hundred years. But eventually they suffered the same fate. When the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar shipped them all off to Babylon... And joy was replaced by sorrow. One of those exiles penned Psalm 137. It says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there, those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? One of those joyless Jews was a young priest named Ezekiel. And like this psalmist, he was hanging out by the river one day. And he begins his book in Ezekiel 1.1 with this. He says, now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Kabar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. And all of a sudden, Ezekiel is transported into this fantastic vision. He's caught up in a cloud filled with lightning and thunder and there are bizarre creatures there with wings and four faces and They shine like lightning. And each one has a huge wheel flying next to it. And it's made of brilliant, precious stones. And it has eyes around the perimeter. And they're moving around in unison. There's flashing and banging and overwhelming sound like the rushing of water over cataracts or like a huge army on the move. But all of that is just window dressing for the real focus of this vision because suddenly there's a voice from heaven from above the creatures and they all stop and they lower their wings above them is a great expanse he says that's the same hebrew word that we use for the skies above us and in that expanse there's a throne and on that throne there is someone who looks like a man Now, here's a cool artist's rendition of of that. 
Ezekiel describes this one on the throne. He says in Ezekiel 127, I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from, where, from there down, he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down. God's glory is the focus of this whole scenario. And God's glory is the key to Ezekiel. And as we're going to see, it's also the key to our understanding of the message to the shepherds in the fields outside Bethlehem. When Ezekiel saw God's glory, he exhibited the obligatory response. He fell on his face. And then God spoke to him and lifted him up. And he told him that he was going to be a a spokesman to the rebellious Jews of Judah who were in exile. And what follows in the book of Ezekiel are a series of prophecies lining out the sins of Judah and the judgments incurred for those sins. And among those judgments is the destruction of the first temple, the temple of Solomon. And you might be thinking, well, they're in exile in Babylon. Isn't the temple already destroyed? Well, no. Because the Babylonian exile took place in three waves. The first one was in 605 B.C. That's when Daniel and his friends were taken to Babylon. But only the elite were taken at that time. And the Babylonians only plundered some of the stuff in the temple, but they didn't destroy it. And the next wave was in 597 B.C., eight years later, and that's when Ezekiel came to Babylon. And there was still a puppet king on the throne in Israel, and there were still many Jews there in Judah. And Ezekiel has his vision in 593, just four years after he arrived in Babylon. And he prophesied of the final, the third wave, when all the Jews would be removed and the temple would be destroyed. That happened six years later in 587 B.C. So now you might be thinking, well, all that's very interesting. Uh, But what does that have to do with the shepherds at Christmas? Well, bear with me a little longer and I'll tie it together, I promise. So later, Ezekiel is given another vision in which he is transported to the temple in Jerusalem. And there he sees an idol sitting there in the temple. And God says to him, Do you see what they're doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel are committing here to drive me as far from my sanctuary? Then, in a series of moves, God's glory leaves the temple and Jerusalem altogether. So first the glory goes from the sanctuary to the inner court of the temple. Ezekiel 10, 4. And the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the house, and to the house, and the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of God. And then the glory <clears throat> moves to the eastern gate. 
In verse 18, Then the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim, and the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth before my eyes as they went out with the wheels beside them, and they stood at the entrance of the east gate of the house of the Lord. And the glory of the God of Israel was over them. And then finally, God leaves the city. Then the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was over them. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that is the east side of the city. That mountain is the Mount of Olives. And God removed his presence from Israel that day. He removed himself in the sense that he was removing his blessing and his protection over Israel because they had broken their covenant with him. He was no longer worshipped in the temple. So God removed himself from the temple and he allowed it to be completely destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And they went into captivity for 70 years. And when they returned, they began rebuilding the temple under the leadership of King Zerubbabel. But that second temple was a poor replacement. At the dedication ceremony of the second temple, God communicated to his people through the prophet Haggai. And he asks, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? And we're also told that people were crying, weeping and crying, because they were just so sad that this, this wasn't anything like the old temple. Then God goes on in Haggai, and I will shake all the nations, because he said, look, this is pitiful now, but don't worry, it's going to be okay. So God says, and I will shake all the nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Well, the problem is that has never happened. The nations have never brought all their wealth to Israel. Peace has not been established. God's glory has not returned to the Temple Mount to this day. That second temple, that was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. But that doesn't mean that his glory has not returned to Israel. That's what brings us back to the shepherds and the message that they were given. So Luke 2, 8 through 11 And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day in the city of David is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. God's glory returned to Israel that day. But it was only witnessed by a few lowly Hebrew shepherds. Initially, that glory produced fear 
But the angel says, fear not. Why? Because I bring good news. Good news is what produces joy. The good news is that Christ is a Savior who came to the world to pay the penalty for our sin by dying on the cross. And his death provides forgiveness for our sin. And the only qualification that we need to receive that forgiveness is that we acknowledge our sin and we put our faith in Christ to save us. The shepherds saw the glory of God and they heard that message from God and they believed it and they were filled with joy. And the message to the shepherds all of a sudden became the message of the shepherds. So in Luke 2.17 it says, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. When the shepherds saw his glory, they had the choice whether they would receive the message of the good news or reject it. And they responded in faith to that proclamation that the Savior was born. And then they went out and they told it. There's a lot of people today who say they're not going to believe unless they see some kind of miracle. So, why doesn't God show them his glory? Well, in fact, the Bible says that he shows them every day. Psalm 19.1 The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The glory of God is revealed in his creation. The vastness, the beauty, the complexity of this world. They all shout that there is a creator. In Romans 1, 19 and 20, it says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. The glory is there to see. Existence itself is a miracle. Why is there anything? Why does anything exist? There's no excuse for rejecting God. But there is another way that God reveals that glory to the world. And that's through you and through me. Listen to Jesus' prayer in John 17, starting at verse 22. Jesus prayed to the Father. He said, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. To see God's creation is one thing. It demonstrates his power and his majesty. But that doesn't communicate his character to us. It doesn't demonstrate his love. He does that through the coming of his son and through his church. God's glory is revealed through the proper working of the body of Christ. The love of God is revealed to the world 
when we love one another. So you, Christian, are a conveyor of God's glory. Is that scary? Is that a daunting responsibility? Well, not if we understand how it works. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let the light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The same God who spoke the stars into existence is shining his glory through us. And it's not done through our power. It's not done through our effort. Look at the next verse. But we have this treasure, this glory, this treasure of glory. We have this treasure in jars of clay, in clay pots, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Isn't that awesome? We're just clay pots. God puts his very own glory in us so that we can carry it around and shine it to the world. The shepherds, they were just average guys like you and me. But God shined his glory on them and they were filled with joy. And then they told people about it. You, you and I, we have the same message to tell. We have the same light to shine. So this Christmas, let's try to repeat this message every chance we get to people. Now when we left Ezekiel, he had just seen the glory of God leave the temple and then leave Jerusalem altogether. And then he goes on to describe the fall of Jerusalem in graphic terms. But that wasn't the end of his prophetic visions. God didn't leave him and his hearers hopeless. His book ends with a description of a glorious new temple. It's not that second temple of Zerubbabel. It's a greater, more magnificent edifice. It's over four times the size of the final version of the second temple that was completed by Herod. Obviously, this temple has not yet been built. But it will be built before the Lord returns. It'll be the millennial temple from which Jesus will rule the world. And when he returns, it's going to be the same way that he left. Ezekiel 43.1 says, Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east. And the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. And the vision I saw was like the vision that I had seen when he came to destroy the city, and just like the vision I had seen by the Kabar River. And I fell on my face, and the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing the east. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The glory's coming back. He's going to return through the eastern gate and take up his rightful place in that temple. You know, the Jews have long been looking for the coming of the Messiah through the eastern gate. And there it is today. In the 16th century, 
Jerusalem was under the control of the Ottoman ruler, Suleiman the Magnificent. And he knew about this prophecy, this Eastern Gate prophecy. And so he actually rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. And when he did, he had the Eastern Gate sealed up. So the Messiah couldn't get through. (laughs) And then, to add insult to injury, he put a cemetery in front of it. It's there to this day. Thinking Messiah would never make himself unclean by going through a graveyard. But no such trivial measures can keep Jesus from fulfilling every prophecy concerning him. Zechariah 4.4 says this, On that day, the day he returns, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mountain shall move northward and the other southward. The gate will be opened, and the Lord will come into his kingdom. On that day, the glory of God will be revealed to the whole world. And they'll see it just like Ezekiel and the shepherds saw it. But for those who have not accepted his free gift of salvation, those who have not recognized him as the Savior, there's not going to be any joy. It's going to be too late. So, Let's get busy and spread that good news, that message that came to the shepherds in those fields that day, that a Savior is born. And let's do it while there's still time. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we praise you, Lord. We praise you that your, your scriptures are just so powerful, Lord. We thank you that you've that you've written history ahead of time. And Lord, that we can just see so many of the things that you've already fulfilled and have confidence that you will fulfill them all. Lord, that you will return. So Father, we, we ask that you give us strength. We ask that you give us confidence. And we ask that you give us joy as we await your coming. And we praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching of God's Word from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you and that the Word of God will fill your hearts and minds as you walk through this world. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would like to make a small donation to help defray the cost of this podcast, just click on the green Support Us button at the top of the webpage. Thank you.